you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday, the 11th of February. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. This week, though, it was a short week and we started on Wednesday. Uh, on this podcast, you'll be hearing our Welcome Back chat, talking all about what we got up to over the very long summer break. And we also hear from Dr. Jen, who was back for Weird Science for another year, telling us all about Murphy's Law and where it came from. I went tepin bowling with my wife and I just wanted to kick her butt because I'm extremely competitive uh, and I have a terrible, terrible technique. So I'll chat about that. Michelle Law's new book, Asian Girls Are Going Places, is out. She gave us a bit of an insight into what it's like travelling with your family and much more. Simon Hinckley joined us from Melbourne Museum for Feature Creatures, uh, telling us about seasonal butterflies and how beautiful and majestic and <laughs> gross they are. And also Scout Box Hall was how Friday funny like a closing the week. Melbourne's own. Triple R. You know, before we left, it used to be people would, um, you wouldn't know who had COVID, COVID's around, but you never personally knew anyone that actually had it. And yeah, it was I, academic. It, yes. Mm. <laughs> and then I think one of my mates got it just, just after Christmas. I was like, wow, I know someone that actually has it. But now it's the opposite way. It, mm. you, you don't know who hasn't had it. So many people have had it. I went to Adelaide for three weeks and then I went to Queensland for a week, came back and somehow managed to get through all the borders and have avoided it so far. Um, but you two have mm. been as fortunate. I, well, yeah. No, it came, came right for me. It came for you? Yeah. So when did you get it? Did you get at it? my wedding. Oh, uh, my God, you got it at your wedding. Well, a that's super the, <laughs> It wasn't a super spreader event. Can I? We were, Not of coronavirus, but yeah. <laughs> Super spreader of love. <laughs> it's, um, no, it wasn't. But I, I assume it was, right? So the wedding was on a Friday. Yeah. And then I uh, tested positive on the Wednesday. So that's the, they say five days is often that can be. Right. Um, and there were maybe four other people. Out of about 100. Oh. So that's, that's not a super spreader. But why, if someone had COVID, from, got COVID from your wedding, are they necessarily going to report to the bride? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they told, I mean, I think so the first person, I don't know if I got it from this one person or because one person got it, um, she tested positive early. So the idea is that she tested negative on the day of the wedding, come along to the wedding, and then on the Saturday or Sunday, did another test because she felt sick and was like, oh, I've got it. So the idea is that she was probably asymptomatic but infectious. Oh, right. Um, But who knows? I also was like, what's the point in tracing this? Oh, yeah. Were you – it was your wedding day and, you know, everyone wants to kiss the bride or hug the bride. Yeah. Were you – Hugging, kissing totally. all the guests. Yeah, yeah, I think right. we just really wanted to get to that day. And yeah. had a, we had a lot of people pull the pin yeah. quite late in the piece, which, um, fair, you know, fair Different enough reasons. to a degree, but at yeah. the same time. The groom got cold feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, when I say wedding, I mean, <laughs> it was a big breakup party. No. <laughs> but, you know, because people would have been nervous about it and stuff like that. So we were just really glad that we finally got there and it happened and we could have a dance floor and, you yeah. know, and a lot of people kept masks on every now and then. And Yeah. But I wasn't at my own wedding. I'm not going to be like, no hugs for me, please. I know. <laughs> yeah. I was the same. I thought that I would, if there was going to be a super spreader, but my wedding was outside um, and ah. I kissed and hugged everyone for yeah. far too long. Mm. Um, but thankfully we, we got through it. Um, at the end of the um, end of the year last year, Daniel, you joked about who was going to get COVID first out of you, me and Smithy. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't have it when I saw you last. But That's right. I, when, maybe five days after we caught up, I yeah. tested positive. And, uh, yeah, didn't get it at the wedding. I'm like, am I not pretty enough? <laughs> <laughs> Knew it kissing and hugging enough strangers. <laughs> uh, but also at the wedding, you know, like 
my presence or anyone's presence, I feel, is to reflect the love and warmth in the room. And so while you're on the, what would you call it, stage? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Can I just quickly ask, did you say hello to Mon at her wedding? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. I'm not, See, he ignores I, I Smitty got in when he sees her. Ignoring Smitty. Oh, I it's my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there was a people can't see you smile. Oh, because of the mask. Yeah. yeah. So and I was like, what would it be like for you looking out to a sea of like dead, dead eyes? Dead eyes. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I had some other positive things in my mind at no, the time, no, so it was okay. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, whatever, contracted. COVID and I there was some things I wanted to get through and I wanted to get through your wedding I want there was a, and then after a certain point it was like whatever okay yeah if it's gonna happen yeah now's probably the best time and it transpired uh but in quarantine uh I just I think I had a quarantine existential cry anyway Jesse shaved my head oh, oh really you're <laughs> so wearing a hat on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Mon said this one. She's like, I've never seen Daniel in a hat. Yeah, I saw you in the, on the camera as you were trying to get in. I was like, is that Daniel or a different guy in a hat? Yeah, he's a sus guy. So I haven't come to terms with it. So, But she shaved, you know, uh, you went under duress. Like, she, you agreed to it, I assume. Yeah, I agreed to it. But, I mean, what, in the timeless space of quarantine, can yeah. you really consent to anything? <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. Went to a barber yesterday, though, oh. who uh, made it even shorter. Was it uneven? Yeah, well, that was why I went in. Yeah. yeah. But it's it was it's a real COVID haircut and I'm sticking with it. Yeah, cool. Okay, <clears throat> this is the new you. Yeah, is that's it? right. <laughs> uh, Did you shave Jesse's head? In her sleep, yeah, her eyebrows. Um, oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. There you go. That looks good. Hey, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? I you... can see through that. <laughs> no, it's, I'm, I'm serious. Now I can't. I can't. <laughs> It can't recover from it this. Does. It so, does. But you, you, Will didn't get COVID. So you're, no. you're uh, what are you doing? You're isolating sick and uh, you can't infect your partner. Tried so hard. <laughs> so because he crazy. was like, so he was, he was like, oh, well, because the, this, the, the annoying thing about getting it is that we went to get, I'd done three negative rats yeah. and then we had to get a pre-departure travel PCR and I was like, I have a bit of a cough, but I've got all these negative mm. rapid tests. Maybe it's fine. Let's go get it. Came back positive. Couldn't go on a honeymoon. Had to oh. reschedule the whole thing. Big disaster. Ended up working out very well, which is why we started late. So thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but he was like, well, look, if I'm stuck at home with you, I'm not going to – like, I just want to get it get it over with and then only have to isolate once. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, we didn't try any isolating. At one point he asked me to cough on him and <laughs> – it's really interesting that was start. Your honeymoon. <laughs> you should have declared this fetish before we got. <laughs> I was like, married life is tough. Yeah, um, yeah. but at the, at the wedding, get it. when you were, because you're like, oh, I'm going on a honeymoon uh, in a couple of days. Yeah. And did you did I register, or could you just see in my eyes that I knew Everyone, that was not going to happen? No, no, no. Like we were like, because it was a week, so the wedding was on the Friday. We were supposed to leave the following Friday, um, and a lot of people were like, oh, good luck. <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, it was. That's why you've got travel insurance and stuff, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, not to get too deep into the uh, honeymoon or anything like that. But did uh, delaying it was it was the weather different? Had you actually gone when you intended, or 
I think well, I think the weather was arguably worse. We were deep into cyclone season in Fiji, but yeah. um, also far less far less tourists and less kids because it wasn't school holidays anymore. So oh, absolute yeah. silver lining. So you had all the cyclones to yourself. So I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the rain over rain over a bunch of teenagers any day. Um, but so Bobby, good luck. I mean, are you on tender yeah. hooks now? Are you are you yeah are you exactly? Because you, you haven't had it. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm dying to get it. I just oh. want to get it over and done with. I don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Anyone listening? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's dying. She, she really can't, can't wait. Triple R. Back for another year of Weird Science. We're joined by newly minted Professor Jen Martin. <laughs> G'day, Dr. Jen. Uh, Hi, Professor. Mate, I'm only an associate professor, so I'm not nearly that cool. But <laughs> I am excited to be back talking about science with you guys. I've missed you. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> just, just rest, really taking about a thousand weeks rest. I'll tell you what, if you're not rested after this, there's no hope for you. <laughs> I don't know. We could discuss that at length. Is anyone really rested yeah. right now? I don't know. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're talking about Murphy's Law today. So uh, other than that being a really popular name for Irish pubs all around the world, does anyone give me their working definition of Murphy's Law? We, we attempted this at 6am when the show started. And oh, I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. It's good you weren't. Thank God. <laughs> Any, anything, that can, anything that can will go wrong. Or it, something about isn't Isn't um, it something to do with irony? Like, I don't know. But isn't it kind of like Alana Morissette's, Alana's Morissette's song? Is really talking about Murphy's Law rather than things being ironic? I don't know. I regret talking. I reckon that's right. Daniel was spot on to send. Daniel, give, give it to me again. Uh, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, spot on. Mm. So, I think Mom's I mean, rambling t- effort was a pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah, it like yeah, the Alanis Morris? I'm too, <laughs> really close. I'm too rested. <laughs> so, so in its earliest phase, in its sorry, in its earliest form, mm. the phrase was, "If there are two ways to do something, and one of those ways will result in disaster, mm. it'll be done that way." But that just became whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Or for some of us, you know, if you drop a piece of toast, it's always going to land butter side down. Mm. But the thing to know is that Murphy's Law, of course, isn't a law at all in the scientific sense. It's just kind of a quote that turned into, I don't know, what would you call it, a maxim, an idiom? Mm. I don't know, one of those things. But even though it's not a scientific law, the origin of Murphy's Law is in science. So I thought I'd tell you a little story. Can I tell you Please. a story Please do. Okay. called Murphy? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's 1947 and um, a rocket-powered research plane is the first aircraft to ever fly at supersonic speeds. And engineers know that from a technological point of view, they can design aircraft that can go much faster than that. But there's one key problem, and that problem is the human body, because we've all heard of G-force, right? And don't just think the movie, think what G-force actually is. So G-force is a measure of acceleration and deceleration, and it wreaks havoc on the human body. So now it's 1949, there are officers at an Air Force base in California, and they're doing experiments to try, and under, to, try to understand how much G-force a human body can cope with before you black out. Because obviously, if you're a pilot in a plane going really fast, you don't really want to black out. That would not be a good outcome. Okay, so picture this. These engineers design a rocket sled that can travel at hundreds and hundreds of kilometres an hour down a track. 
and then come to a complete stop in less than a second. So the idea is we're trying to simulate the G-force that a pilot would experience in a really fast jet. Um, and in excellent scientific taste, well, you guys guess, any guesses for what these engineers might have called this sled? I'll tell you Mur it's corny. Is it Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we haven't got to Murphy oh, sorry, yet, Mon. Sorry, You're jumping sorry. ahead, my friend. <laughs> How are we no supposed idea. to know what they call the sled? I mean, it went really fast and came to a com total complete stop. And it's about G-Force. They a... called it the G-Wiz. It's very awesome. I think fun. that's so good. And, you it know, is. this is 1949. This the morning is, just I paid for itself, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're on the G-Wiz, right? Yeah. So initially they did trials with a dummy, but the engineers involved said, look, it's just not really giving us an accurate idea of what's going on. It doesn't really work with a dummy. We need a person. Who's going to offer to subject themselves to crazy amounts of G-force? Mm. Of course, it was this uh, Air Force doctor. He was a doctor and a surgeon. His name was Colonel John Paul Stapp. And he volunteered and records show that he rode the G-Wiz lots and lots of times. He suffered broken bones. He burst, burst blood vessels in his eyes. He suffered serious concussions. You know, talk about volunteering yourself in the name of science. I don't like the idea of my eyeballs bleeding. How about you? Oh, not on top of my list, no. <laughs> no. Okay, yeah. so here's our colonel riding the gee whiz. And there was an engineer named Captain Edward Murphy. Yay, here he is. <laughs> and Murphy had the job of designing the harness that Stapp would wear to accurately measure the G-force. And the harness had 16 different sensors that would be able to measure the G-force on different parts of his body. And together those 16 would produce a highly accurate reading, but he designed it so that any one of them would produce a reliable reading. And I guess that's what good engineers do, right? They build lots of redundancy into the system. So Murphy's there thinking, look, if some of them fail, it's fine. We'll still get a good reading. But the story goes that the first time Stapp wore this harness, it produced a reading of zero on every single sensor, which must have been really frustrating for Stapp because he's just suffered, I don't know how many blood, you know, head injuries, mm. he's bleeding, whatever's going on, and they got no data out of it. And it turns out that the sensors that Murphy designed, each one of them had two ways of being connected, mm -hmm. a right way and a wrong way. So think about, you know, a bit like a battery, right? There's a positive end, there's a negative end. You've got to put it in the right way. And when Murphy had a look at to see why they'd got no data, it turned out that every single one of them, all 16, had been connected in the wrong way. Hence, his original quote was, was directed at one of his technicians who said, if there are two ways to do something and one of them will result in a disaster, the technician will do it that way. Oh, <laughs> very cynical but accurate. Right. Well, yeah. So so then Stapp was giving a press conference about the work because, of course, lots of people were interested in this doctor who was basically, you know, subjecting himself to torture in the name of science. Mm. And apparently he was a pretty funny guy. And, and he said in one of the of one of the press conferences that the rocket sled team had a really good safety record because it was aware of Mercy, Murphy's law. So he just totally came up with that. And when the journo said, what the hell's Murphy's law? He turned it into whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And then Murphy's law suddenly appears in aerospace publications. It ends up in popular culture. And it all comes from this little story of Murphy saying, bloody technician, you know, they stuffed up every single one of the 16 oh, senses. Wow. That's outstanding. 
Isn't it just a cool story? I mean, look, I don't know how true it is, of course. I wasn't there. I am telling you third hand. But I read quite a lot about it. When when was this supposed to have happened? 1949. Okay. And there are pictures of Stapp on the, if you Google it, there are pictures of Stapp on the gee whiz. It just looks terrifying. Who would do that? (laughs) How many times did Stapp go on this gee whiz? Uh, Quite a few, apparently. He suffered a lot of injuries for his devotion. Look, I'm going to commit to that it's real. I I'm not going to... Uh, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, of course it's real. Yeah, but Jen just said, the, you know, the Furthy of Murphy's Law. Ooh. I said, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but I think, I think the real question, the real question for us to delve into is why has it stuck? Why has this idea of Murphy's Law, which was a flippant comment in a press conference, why has it made its way so deeply into popular culture? And I think it's probably a really good summation of one of our key cognitive biases, which is we don't really notice when things go well because we kind of expect that things should go in our favour. But when things go badly, we we notice it, we remember it, we look for reasons. I was thinking about it, you know, let's say you go to the supermarket. If you arrive safely at the supermarket and do your shopping, you don't give yourself a pat on the back and say well done you did a great job today but if you had a bike accident or a car accident on the way to the supermarket you'd notice and you'd think well you know why did that happen is the world out to get me so Mm. we we definitely tend to dwell on the negative I've talked about it on the show a few years ago it's called the negativity bias and so I guess the practical implications of Murphy's Law are that it's a really fantastic design principle. That's why we have backup systems and backup backup systems. And I sort of think, you know, his original saying was, if there are two or more ways to do something and one of them will result in catastrophe, someone's going to do it that way. Bad stuff happens. So therefore, to avoid a catastrophe, all you have to do is make sure that there's only one way of doing something, which I was thinking about electrical plugs. You know, they're asymmetrical. There's only one way Mm. to plug in an electrical plug. There's no risk of doing it the wrong way and electrocuting yourself. That's it. And so, and Colonel Stapp, like the the Johnny Knoxville of aeronautics. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he has Murphy's Law on his gravestone, wherever his gravestone is. I would really like to think that that, that he is remembered because even though it's not named after him, he came up with the idea of Murphy's Law. I think that's a good thing to be famous for. There's a a text that just says, and as an IT professional, I have a form of view that computers are devices designed to implement Murphy's Law. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dr Jen, so fascinating, and we'll see you all this year. Can't wait. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. I went tempin bowling with my wife the other day. With my wife. My wife. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. End of story. No. <laughs> <laughs> um... And it, it was a lot of fun. I, I used to do tempin bowling when I was younger. Like I used to do it competitively. What? So, yeah, I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, I, I mean, I stopped when I was about 13, I think. So I did oh. it from like 8 to 13, something like that. I used to have the whole daggy outfit and everything at Northcote Bowling Centre. Anyway, when I play casually now, I have to try to look casual like because oh. I, I had a technique when I was younger and I'm just like I don't want to do that like everyone's playing bumper bowling or whatever you're doing yeah I don't want to look like a loser with this whole bowling 
technique well, and style. Well, can you talk about when you're in full flight, what yeah. does it look like? Well, first you put your feet together. It's four steps. Generally, that is what it is, four steps that people do. Sometimes people do more, but that's the, the main thing. Um, and I have both hands on the ball, just staring down at the pins. <laughs> and then I do my four steps. I get right down and my right leg uh, swings back and slides behind my left leg. Oh, my God, this is such a technique. I'm it, sorry, I can't and believe then, And then my right arm, when I bowl it, I then swing my arm another two times after I've bowled it, like an absolute loser. Oh, like, like a big guitar, like yes, yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that like who, are, like yeah, like Elvis. With the, with the bow. Yes, that's exactly what Pete I look Townsend like. Townsend <laughs> So wait, what's the point? Like, there's no, there's there no. Is. It's not like tennis with follow through. Like, what's the point of doing no, it twice? Well, no, no, no. So you do it, you do it once, and I guess the emphasis is to make sure that you get enough. Spins or whatever it is on the ball, and then it was just—it's just a terrible daggy technique. Oh. Like it's so I try when I'm playing casually. I'm like just mm. try and just not chill do, out. Just how, chill. How low are you getting to the ground in full flight yeah. with your right leg swooping around past your left leg? Yeah, and so the, and the double windmill. <laughs> <laughs> how low are you? Like I'm really low, so that the ball hits when it hits the lane. There's no thump. So you're, you know, oh, sorry, mm. um, like that. <laughs> like that. <laughs> so I'm really like just pushing it in, along. Mm. Um, but I will start off doing a, you know, just an amateur bowl. But then once I get into it, I, ca- I, I can't help it. Because you get very competitive. I'm so competitive. Has your, has your wife, is she aware of this? Oh, she's well aware. Okay, because yes. I'm like, you might be getting divorced. Like if I, <laughs> if I went, if, I, if my husband now started doing, taking 10 pin bowling seriously, I'm out the door. Like yeah. I, <laughs> and, you know, I, I tried not to for the first five frames and then I'm like, no, I'm coming back here. I am getting into this. And absolutely no bumpers, I imagine. Oh, God, no. No, we're not chilling. Um, <laughs> so halfway through the game, I, then I was just like, I just get back into it and stuff. And Abby just thinks it's hilarious. Just like okay. you and your technique. Like mm. we have these 10-year-old boys in the lane next to us. Like everyone's just throwing the ball. They had bumpers. Mm. Throwing the ball down from five metres high. Like I don't know, these are tiny boys, but the thump. That these boys, yeah. one of the balls he bowled, it went onto another lane and he ran down. This is just a, like a generic bowling thing. No one's taking it seriously. He ran, and you don't run down the lane because there's oil on the lanes. Mm. So, mm. you know, the technique. Uh, what sort of oil? God, I have no idea. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, I don't That's know. That's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know everything else, supposedly. Um, so he ran down and then slipped and all the boys were laughing and they were having a great old time. Did you tell them off? No, I mean, I was just like, God, they're going to have to oil these lanes again. You're ruining it for other bowlers after you. But anyway, I, I got a um, – and I didn't realise until, you know, you're there. You, you know, you're sharing shoes. They spray them. Fine. Um, but the bowling balls, like just putting your fingers inside the bowling balls. Not COVID safe. No. Like I'm doing my best to get this thing. It is COVID safe though now, isn't it? I mean, no one's re- – there's been no transmission from a bowling ball. A bowling ball? ball? <laughs> I mean, let's get real. Not yet, no. And when you're sharing a lane, like all of the boys were putting their fingers in every single ball possible and I'm just watching them putting their fingers in my ball and then just having their hot dogs oh, and drinking suck. this. And I'm just like, oh, my oh, God. Hang on. You should have your own ball. Absolutely. But when you're just borrowing – I mean, I don't take my ball anymore. <laughs> anymore? <laughs> oh, I love it. You used to bring your own ball. No, I haven't done that for years. Um, so, yes, so all the balls look the same. So they'll, like, go to have their shot and then put their fingers in my ball and then they're like, oh, that's a bit heavy, so they'll go to another one and I just oh, look at it. That's not right. 
Yeah, that's, that's your, for the for the duration of the playing. That's your ball because the ball comes out and then it just goes on this. Now you circular thing. Yeah, you just pick it up. Whatever, purple, green, whatever. Looks no, good. well, this one they're all the same color. Oh, but what I know. Are you, why aren't you hovering over the shoot waiting for it to emerge? Well, You're I busy re- pashing oh. your wife. <laughs> Technique really did it for her. Don't worry about the technique. Double windshield. So I did this. When it wasn't my turn, they were grabbing my ball. So I was sitting down and I felt pedantic going up and going, oh, that's that's my ball. Um, They didn't use them. They just continually put their fingers in them. Anyway, I behold this ball and, I mean... I got a strike, right? Okay. I was excited about it. All the boys cheered. That's that's cute. That's nice. Anyway, and then I got another. So I got two in a row and the boys jumped up cheering. They were very cute. And then they like stood in a line to give me a high five, which is adorable. God, the heads were filthy. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. But I can't say no to a high five. Like, and everyone in the Stick your elbow out. Everyone... Just elbow the palm <laughs> of the hand. <laughs> oh, so I, I looked at it and I, oh, and in the moment I just like, i, I got to do it. I can't leave them hanging. Mm. So I gave them all high fives and they were just sticky, sweaty hands. Yeah. And is, is it rude to sanitise your hands? I feel like it's after, rude. Straight uh, after. Do you know what? I reckon if they've been watching you with your technique... <laughs> Taking bowling seriously, they're not going to be surprised that you're sanitising your hands after I know. touching them. Yeah. Like, you know, you're a rule-based I should have person. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I should have just done it, but I felt bad. And the parents were looking at me. They're like, "Oh, that's nice. You're getting the boys involved." And I just smiled, and then I sat down, just hovering my hands because mm. I'm like, "Well, what am I going to do?" So I think I waited a couple of balls. Was pressure on for a hat trick though? Two strikes. Well, in it's a row. called a turkey. If you get three in a row. Oh, what an idiot! I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and I tell you what, my technique was getting even more and more dramatic. But unfortunately, I think I got an eight split. Anyway, it's not. Mm, it, yeah, it's who's not important, Not mm. important. Lean in now. I mean, next time you go, and when will that be? Do you think it'll be a yearly oh. event, or do you got the taste for it, and it might? Become... No, I, I think. Look, I might go again in. I might play do bowling once or twice a year. Yeah, kind of a thing. Oh. So, yeah. Do you still have a? Does a bowling ball come in a leather bag, or how do you transport I, your you, personal ball? Oh, I don't. I don't actually have one anymore. I used to for years. Is, but I was I don't know if my hands have changed, but I'm just I'm not gonna bring my bowling ball now to a bowling alley. Just say it, you got fat fingers. <laughs> is that what's happened? I've got fat did fingers. Did you grow they... out of it? No, but did you grow out of the ball? Like what Yeah, and because when you bowl, um the ones that they have at the um at the bowling centre, they're just generic ones and you put your full finger in it. But for um I guess professional, professional bowlers, uh, you have fingertip bowling so you just put the fingertips in so they're actually further apart so are they lighter or you just have incredible finger strength like no well you have they have ball uh, finger grips inside them oh my god yeah not inside the thumb but, but inside the, inside the fingers if you're byo ball oh. yep and then it just goes through the shoot isn't it the risk that some other random bowler could just pick it up when it oh, comes through i mean you would have a different color ball then yeah like, but they may be like oh I'll try this. Yeah. Oh. I mean, they might. Mm, they'd you know would, about it. Be I'd slap their hand yeah. away. That, I'd be I slap uh, worried about <laughs> fingertip bowling, if doing, being overconfident, doing the double windmill, f- pulling it back and smashing a teenager's teeth in. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. You forget to release. <laughs> Wait, the windmill, I just want to clarify. So is the windmill, <laughs> is the windmill happening? It's not happening before. You're not lifting the no, ball no, over your before. head. <laughs> But I'd imagine your backswing would be huge. Is your backswing big? Um, I lean down and it goes up past my head, yes. Yeah. So past my head and then back down. But If that goes back behind my... Yeah, I'm dropping it behind behind me, I reckon. Yeah. 
Oh. I mean, that's happened. That's, you know, that's happened. We should have had people. the photo shoot at a bowling alley. <laughs> oh. I would love that. <laughs> next time. Yeah, okay, next time. Uh, uh, sorry, just quickly. I know we're going to go. But how many other talents do you have that we don't know about? Oh, here? no. And you know the thing is, they're not even talents. I'm just a little bit above average at the <laughs> oh, It's day one. We've got, you got to <laughs> pace it out. Woo! <sighs> That's right. Triple R. Michelle Law as an actor and writer whose works include the play Single Asian Female, SBS web series Homecoming Queens, in which she also starred, and the book Shit Asian Mothers Say, co-written with Brother Benjamin. Her new book, third in the Girl's Guide to the World series, is titled Asian Girls Are Going Places, about the joys, fears and obligations unique to Asian women navigating the world. And to tell us about it, the recipient of the Queensland Premier's Young Publishers and Writers Award joins us now. Michelle, welcome to Breakfasters. Oh, thanks so much for having me. That's such a generous introduction. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's we're kicking off the year and it's re- we're wrapped to um, have you on. Uh, one thing you mentioned in the book says, you say, something my non-Asian friends don't understand is why I've travelled so much with my family. Walk us through your credentials as a travel writer through the prism of your family. Oh, my gosh. I mean, obviously, you've got to have um, a lot of patience. (laughs) Um, Travelling with family members, um, they can be really of any age. Um, So travelling with kids, travelling with sort of elderly parents, um, having a lot of flexibility, um, knowing that everyone's got really different accessibility needs, uh, and I guess being, you know, open to the idea that some battles are worth picking and maybe you've fought enough during your childhood to sort of let the small things go when you're travelling as adults. <laughs> I recently had a honeymoon and there were lots of families uh, away and one of the things that I quite enjoyed was just watching the dynamics of the different mm. families. There was always one sibling that was just bored and s- <laughs> stirring everyone up. Was that you or who was that in your family? <laughs> I mean, it probably was a bit of me. It was probably the younger (laughs) siblings. I feel like when you're traveling with family, especially um, with a big family like mine is, you always sort of revert to your childhood roles. uh, And it doesn't really matter, you know, what you've achieved in life up to that point, despite the fact that you're all adults by that point. You know, I'm the youngest in my family. And so I found that myself and the other younger siblings were sort of just a way being silly with our mum when my older siblings were having to take the reins and organise the rental cars and, and do the driving and things like that. So I think you're you're um, definitely on point there. So you write that the uh, the last... <laughs> and I don't mean to bring up anything grisly, but it's in the book. The last trip you took as a group was over 20 years ago and culminated in your parents ultimately divorcing. You also disembarked a flight on a wheelchair due to almost fainting from anxiety. What's your relationship with travelling? Is it a bit love hate? <laughs> I mean, it's fraught. <laughs> um, largely, it's positive. I mean, you know, I would I would make those trips when I was feeling super anxious because I love traveling so much and I love the experience of, of being in a new place that I haven't discovered before and I'm trying the local cuisine and, and just seeing the new landscapes. So ultimately, it's worth it. Um, and I like to think over over time, I've gotten much better at maintaining the anxiety, so that helps. Uh, but definitely, you know, it's it's generally quite an anxiety-inducing induce, thing to travel because all of your senses are so engaged and everything's so overwhelming. Mm. Um, but I think it's worth it in the end. And, and writing the book made me so nostalgic for travel and wanting to get out and see the world more again. Yeah. Mm. One of the tips which I appreciate is when you are travelling solo, don't forget to take photos with you in them. 
Mm. Yeah, that's right. I have made that mistake. My, the first trip I did when I was 20, I'm in about two photos over the course of eight months because I was too embarrassed to ever ask anyone to take a photo of me and it was pre-selfie days. So that's a good tip. <laughs> uh, one of the breakouts in the book you in which you interview your sister, Tammy, you ask, Tammy, what is unique to the experience of travelling alone to an Asian woman? She says you can definitely play the dumb young woman card. What's Tammy getting at there? <laughs> well, Tammy's um, quite an intrepid explorer. She's done a lot of solo travelling as a documentary photographer and that takes her to some pretty compromising situations. So she was living in the uh, for a while in uh, a refugee camp on the Thai-Burmese border um, she's photographed uh, detention centres in Australia. And there was one story she told me where she was sort of doing some some um, snooping around at a, outside a detention centre and a security guard came up to her, you know, asking her, do you know exactly where you are? And she was like, oh, no, you know, I was just taking some pictures of the landscape. Um, and they, they let her off because, you know, she was sort of playing the dumb card and, and really leaning into that stereotype and taking advantage of it. Beautiful. <laughs> um, the book is quite lush. There's some gorgeous illustrations and, mm. uh, uh, you know, pictures. Tell us about the artistic side of this book. Oh, my gosh. I feel so blessed to have worked with so many talented Asian women. Um, a Hong Kong illustrator and artist named Joey Kong is responsible for – sorry, Joey Long is responsible for the amazing drawings inside the book. Louise Jung is an Asian-Australian artist who is responsible for the cover. Um, it was just so gorgeous. I mean, it was easy collaborating with them because I just really had no notes besides can I have a persimmon drawing because that's my favourite fruit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where are you looking forward to going to next? Oh, I've got a list going. Every time I see friends who are travelling, I get really bad FOMO. So uh, I've got South Korea on the list mm. because um, my eldest brother recently got married and um, my sister-in-law's Korean, so we couldn't have the traditional wedding. So her family's over in Korea, sort of hoping for that to happen soon-ish. Mm. Um, and my best friend and I had a trip planned to Vietnam and Taiwan, so hopefully we'll be able to fulfil that plan soon. How exciting. Hope that all happens. It yeah. feels almost surreal that it can, but that would be, be so Where good. are you never going back to? <laughs> Oh, gosh. I mean, how many places? How much time have we got? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many places where you've been to once um, and, and that's enough. Um, places, I mean, recently I went to a couple of towns in regional New South Wales that weren't particularly fun. <laughs> um, so I'll probably strike those off the list. Yeah, but look, you've done it now. That's why, because you've done it, ticked it, saw everything there was to see. Yeah. <laughs> and travelling around in an eight-seater car with your family, what, what was the? Who's in charge of the radio? Or what, do you, you do you feel like a hostage, or do you just love being a part of a big family on on the road? <laughs> That's. We didn't really have any other option besides our parents taking control of the radio and then falling asleep. Hmm. Um, I'm in the back seats. Um, nowadays, the general rule for us when we're carpooling is that the person driving has can take the reins in terms of uh, what's on the radio, and the rest of us just um, deal with it, um, or we'll have conversations. I mean, we're pretty we're pretty chatty, and so that takes up a lot of the time as well. Here's another tip, just from the book: videotape uh, videotape family members or elderly family members making their favourite meals and record their voices. Morbid but valuable. 
Yes, it is a bit morbid. I, I think um, that's sort of my deal, a bit of morbidity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was something we did with my uh, paternal grandmother before she passed away. Um, she wasn't particularly sick at the time. She was sort of just becoming um, older and she would cook a lot of our favorite recipes and, and we did something where we filmed her making our favorite dumplings. Um, so we've, we've got a, a, a record of her voice and her mannerisms and just seeing her on screen like that really keeps her memory alive. Mm. Mm. The trick though is to do it without them feeling like they're... I'm uh, dying oh, soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Any last words? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the book is Asian Girls Going Places, How to Navigate the World as an Asian Woman today. It's out via Hardy Grant. And uh, we've been very fortunate to speak with Michelle Law this morning. Thanks heaps, Michelle. Thanks so much, everyone. Triple R. From Melbourne Museum, Simon Hinckley is taking some time out from his plethora of other media commitments to be a bug man on Breakfasts. Morning, Simon. Morning, everybody. I hear you get around. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but our listeners, we can hack the natural world. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to hold our hand. We're not snowflakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Not really. Okay, <laughs> I can't even think that. What's happening for Feature Creatures this week? Well, uh, firstly, apologies to the listeners. I'm actually Skyping from my laundry where there's a bit of an echo, so apologies if the sound is a bit worse than the normal. I'm hiding from a tradesman. And also, I didn't want him to be listening to me, so I'm hiding in the laundry. Um, so I thought we'd talk about, um, with Sat, Satmon's new job, with something nice, something pretty. Thank so you. Um, we're going to talk about butterflies. And it's a really nice group for interested people to, to look into because in Australia there's about uh, there's over 400 species in Australia, but in Victoria there's only about 130. And if you compare that to, for example, there's 30,000 odd moth, uh, beetle species in Australia. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of moths. So the butterflies are a nice group, easily viewable, don't bite, pretty, that sort of thing. So I thought one of the ones we'd look at is um, probably the probably the largest butterfly that you're going to see in your Melbourne garden, which is the orchard swallowtail. It's um, it's a really beautiful butterfly. It's uh, Papilio aegeus, and it's about sort of 10 centimetres across. So it's it's very hard to miss. Um, the males are black and they have uh, some white spots on the the, fore, the top of the forewing, a white patch on the hindwing and a red spot at the bottom. And the females have a more, there's sort of more grey streaks, if you like, and there's more red dots at the, the base of the wing and the underside is different too. So it's a species that uh, was more in northern Australia, um, as the name implies, orchard swallowtail. The, the larvae feed on a range of citrus plants. So before Europeans arrived in Australia, they were feeding on native varieties up in northern Australia with Europeans arriving and planting six trillion orange trees along the Murray. Their distribution has moved down to along the Murray and into Southern Victoria. So if you have a lemon, lime, uh, orange plant in your backyard, check it out for this species because you might have it flying around. But so not only is the butterfly very beautiful, but the, the caterpillar is, is interesting as well. So it goes through a number of instars, which, you know, we would all know from, you know, knowing about butterflies and reading books when we were kids that they eat a lot, grow 
to a certain size, shed their skin, grow bigger and bigger until they pupate. So the first instar looks like a piece of bird poop. So, um, you know, what we've discussed this strategy before, we've got bird dropping spiders. So obviously the strategy of looking like poo is, is not a bad one, works for a number of creatures. So the first one, first instar looks like bird poo. And then as it gets bigger, it becomes sort of green and spiky. But what it also possesses is an organ called an osmeterium. So what that is, is just behind the back of the head, it, it has the ability to um, push out this forked pink red organ. So if you're a bird and you come along and you go, well, I don't think that's bird poo, I'm going to give that a go. And then so what will happen is as you annoy the caterpillar, it sort of rears up and then it produces in your face this forked reddy pink organ, which I imagine is quite startling. In addition to which, because it's feeding on citrus, it, it releases a very sort of strong acidic smell. So the, the mm. potential predator gets a, a, a forked red organ in the face and this sort of strong smell. So that, that's their um, don't eat me strategy. Just show the forked pink organ in your face. It's yeah. Enough to turn you off. So is it, is it, does it look sharp <laughs> and it's not? Like why is it? It, it, it just looks look, alarming. It's, it's a really good question. And, yes, it, it's open to lots of um, – um, giggles and snickers, and I sort of thought about it myself when you know, you're talking about <laughs> uh, getting a, a, a forked organ in your face. It doesn't sound great, mm. but basically it does nothing. It's just sort of soft. Think of like a – it sort of looks like a snail's tentacles. You know how they can sort of extend um, – it's not tentacles. You know how they can extend their their um, their eyes and then retract them. Mm. It's sort of like that, but it does it very, very quickly. And I think – but what it also does is I think it's about the colour. So in nature, the colour red is often a warning sign. It's like, I'm dangerous. You, you think of yellow and red. Uh, so think of bees being yellow, I'm going to sting you. Think of wasps being yellow, I'm going to sting you. Mm. And red is also an alert colour that, you know, I'm, I'm bad for you. Mm. So it actually does nothing. It's just a startle thing, and I think the colour is designed to intimidate. So given how many of them are around, it, it seems to be working, but – we do also have in the collection a really beautiful, rare example of what's called a gonandromorph. I don't know if you've heard of that. Nope. It's a, it's a individual that has characteristics of both sexes. So you can have um, mosaic gynandromorphy where you have patches of male and female coloration or characteristics. And you can have what's called bilateral gynandromorphy where you've basically got a line down the middle and to one side is, is male and to the other side is female. So we have this beautiful example in the collection where if you cover one half, you're looking at a male butterfly from above and if you take your hand off, not literally cover it, take your hand off, put it over the, the other half and you're looking at a female um, half. So it's a really beautiful, rare example that we have in the collection because there, I think we have maybe three or four examples in our entire collection. So it, it's really quite rare and unusual and, and beautiful to look at. Just to circle back briefly to that mm. foul odour working in concert with the osmeterium, is, yeah. is that perceptible to uh, humans or is it just a rancid smell for other insects? Oh, oh, that's that's my best question of the year so far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's our first interview, Daniel, so that's pretty question. Look, I think I think it probably would be because these caterpillars, being such a large butterfly, like having a wingspan of about ten centimeters, the, the caterpillars as they reach their final instar before pupation are quite large. Uh, apparently you can hear them chewing. Now, I don't know whether that means you have to be have your ear right on them. I bought a lime this year, so I'm going to be checking it out and hopefully I'll get some. And if I do, Daniel, I'll stick my nose right on it when it puts its um, material in my face. But 
I would imagine um, if you're close enough that, that we would be able to smell it because the citrus smell is quite strong yeah. and this thing feeds on nothing but citrus. So I think it would certainly be detectable to, to a human nose right up close. And what are you like in a glass house? <laughs> in, in, do you mean in what context? Well, like, do yeah, I start it, throwing... It, like, do you, is it because you're so used to it? Like, do you still, is that what you mean? Well, do you spend a lot of time in there? How would, if you're in a butterfly enclosure, yep. what do you, how do you recommend we spend our time? Should we follow one butterfly the whole way through or what do you do? I get out as fast as I, like if I go to the Melbourne Zoo one, <laughs> because I despise humidity oh. and they keep the conditions really, really hot because they have obviously specky tropical species, yeah. I'm like walking in going pretty, 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 let me out. So that's just me because <laughs> I despise the humidity. Um, but like a lot of people love to stand there and have the butterflies land on them. It, they're, they're really beautiful creatures. And, and it's that sort of security thing of knowing, you know, I'm at no risk of being bitten, stung, you know, defecated on, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And I think that's what people like about butterflies. They, they're beautiful and they pose no threat. And, I mean, there are, sorry, to our personal health, of course, there are butterflies like the cabbage white, which I'm sure every backyard has this summer, even though I don't have vegetables, I've got cabbage whites everywhere. That's an introduced species which is really, really bad for um, crops and mm. our garden. So, yes, there are bad butterflies, uh, but in terms of, humans interacting with them, beautiful, easy, safe creatures. Mm. Mon's been seeing heaps. I was just going to ask, is there a reason? I feel like there are mm. so many cabbage moths around. They're very pretty. Yeah. I know they're but they eat all my, they ate all my spinach, but I like seeing them around. Are they more than usual? I think because we've had such an unusual, uh, we've had a really nice wet spring. So uh, that's, and also I, I was thinking about this because, uh, yeah, like you say, Mon, I'm in my backyard and I don't have a back garden and I don't even have anything for them to feed on and they're still all there. So mm. I think what's happened is, Potentially with COVID, I don't know how many people, um, apparently every second person became a bread maker. Maybe everyone's also done vegetable gardens and there's a whole <laughs> range of new food for them. But also we've had a really nice wet spring. So wet spring means more plant growth and then we've had some really nice warm weather. So I think it's just probably been an ideal um, start of the year for all the butterflies. And unfortunately, the, the one that we're going to see the most often is the introduced cabbage white. And if you look online, there's a whole lot of... Um, strategies in the past uh, governments have introduced uh, species of wasp and stuff to try and parasitize them and try and mm. um, take them out they're they're like blackberries they're going to be tough to get rid of but there's all these weird and interesting strategies online you can do that apparently now don't quote me on this but if you if you break up um, eggshells the butterflies get confused and lay their eggs on the eggshells i don't know why that makes sense but there's a lot of mm. um, organic uh, sites that, that sort of don't involve chemicals where you can try and trick the butterflies into laying on other things. Or you just go out and pick the caterpillars off and, and squash yeah. the caterpillars before they become do, do more damage. It's an introduced species, so squash away. All right, good. kill them all. Thanks for the, thanks um, for the tip. Tell you what, you say you despise humidity, but that shirt says otherwise. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I should have put on my pineapple shorts. Aloha. All right, bug man, we'll let you get back to being awkward around the train. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Thanks, Triple R. Comedian and erstwhile fake faster, Scout Boxall joins us as this week's Friday Funny Bugger. Morning, Scout. Oh, your mic's off and that's not me. <laughs> oh, no. What's ironic about this is we were, 
we were just praising Scout setup. It had such a good. Um, it looks oh no, you're you've muted. You're muted. Wait, can I unmute you? <laughs> I can't. You're muted. <laughs> I can see a little line through your microphone. Scout's mouth is agape. <laughs> Horrified. D- can you just? Oh my god! Can you? Hear oh me yeah. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I have no idea what happened. That's I was fine. just saying that was. I was just saying that was the most chaotic theme I've ever heard. But then I came in with true audio chaos, just by not turning any of my stuff on. I'm so so sorry, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. What's going on? Yeah. Well, uh, the adrenaline is running now. I'm never going to sleep again. Oh my god. Also, I yeah. Um, for anyone listening at home, we're on a Skype link, so um, everyone in the studio could see me just freaking out. <laughs> Just a silent scream like that painting, just like. Yeah. Oh, that was great! What an opening! Oh my god! We've already made a gif of your panic, and you've gone viral. So congratulations! <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, viral! This early in the day, you really know how to show a girl a good time. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, I'm I'm very excited. Firstly, cool cool to see uh, the inside of the studio again because I got to be in there for real earlier this year. You yes. did. How did you find it? It was so fun. Mm-hmm. It cooked my sleep cycle. I'll tell you what, I normally get up at around 10, 11 a.m. Um, getting up at half five. Mm. Oh, you, got, you guys are the true heroes. Oh, like shucks. The true champions. Um, and so you're on with Simon and Dylan? Yeah, they were so lovely. It was such a great, like, uh, energy because um, Dylan was like, I'm Dylan. I, I know the news. I'm doing my PhD in journalism. I'm a really smart guy. And then Simon is just like, Hi guys, I'm Simon. Uh, so good to be here. Like, just the gentlest man you've ever met. Yeah. It was really, it was yeah. so fun. And what was your philosophy or approach to putting together the sport? Okay, so my, I, I got worried that people might think I was taking the piss, but I genuinely wasn't. So, I, because I did the sports news, because uh, uh, I'm a jock, obviously, <laughs> and um, I basically every day I would cover a niche sport. Oh. Um, so we covered all kinds of sports. We covered, I mean, some were not that niche. Like badminton is not that niche. But it's like stuff you don't well, hear about a lot of the news. Yeah, but yeah. then on the first um, morning, I was like, what if I did drag as a sport? And then I just did like a recap of drag race from the <laughs> weekend before. Because drag is a contact sport if you do it right, I believe. <laughs> um, but it was so fun. We learned about kabaddi, which is a sport where you have to hold your breath um, while you try and like go into the other person, like the other team's zone on a court, and it's like the national sport of Bangladesh. It was sick. It was wow. so much fun. Is it a holding and... breath sport? Sorry, is that the point of the sport to hold your breath, or that's? Or do you do other things while you're holding your breath? So you have like one person who has to try and go into the other team's square and tag as many people as they can without getting tackled, and you have to do it in, in one held breath. Right. Could, don't you think it be easy to fake that though? Like to just like oh, look absolutely. like you're holding your breath. Like you, could talk, you could just be like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I got no breath That's left. Good. What's going That's on? Really... All the time, breathing in and out of my nose. That like... face is perfect. Now, I remember there was a, um, a, there was a radio show that was turned in. There was a competition called House from Hell. Andrew Denton ran it. It was like a precursor to Big Brother, I think, basically. Oh my God. Anyway, so they would breathalyze people and I was watching them get <gasps> breathalyzed <gasps> And I'm like, you're supposed to breathe? Uh, you're supposed to blow out? Yeah. But they were sucking? Oh, no. Oh, no. That's... And, and no one called them on it. And then in the end, they're like, yeah, I cheated the breathalyzer. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone at home watching was like, 
Yeah, <laughs> we know. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, policing breath, I find that um, that would be... Goes against a few civil liberties. <laughs> exactly. Um. Anyway, um, how have you been? Um, I'm, I'm, I've been so good. I've actually, I'm doing my own niche sport tonight that mm. I'm very excited about. Um, I do LARP, live action role play. Oh. I'm pretty sure I've spoken about this before. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so fun. I love it. It's basically, uh, we rock up to a field we walk up to an abandoned AFL field in Princess Park and we get dressed up in medieval costumes and we use foam weapons to fight each other in a simulated battle. Wow. It's very fun. Cool. It's very fun. Um, I'm uh, fighting with some elves tonight. Very exciting stuff. Oh, so what Bye-bye. are you if you're not an elf? So what? I'm normally like, I'm normally just a classic humanoid okay. from the Empire. Of course. Sort of like it's a Warhammer LARP if anyone is familiar <laughs> with the Warhammer <laughs> series um and uh but yeah i'll be i'll be fine with the old tonight very excited i got my ears got my wig got my dress got my bow and arrow ready to go um can i interrupt sorry is there a soundscape is is there audio oh god i wish there was a soundscape there is just what like it's sort of actually people are pretty like immersed and very much getting the performative element of it like a lot of people are shouting or like have like war cries or whatever yeah. um and a lot of people play music on the battlefield as well like have drums or a, as one guy with a bugle it's very fun um yeah. but there is the in terms of soundscape there is just one guy massive dude huge dude who just has bluetooth speakers like in his costume uh-huh. and he's just absolutely going crazy <laughs> on the sound like he's just doing his own battle music so he sort of like walks into battle again he's like over six feet tall he's built like a brick shit house he's Holy walking hell. into battle and like inside his armor is just pumping tunes all the time wow. <laughs> do you get nervous before you turn up or is it you what happens to you no. phys- right you're just in no. your sweet oh. spot and you love it yeah no no nerves ever yeah. you just you you rock up you do what you got to do. It's war. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, you right. can't be nervous in war. Otherwise, the enemy's going to get the flag. That's right. <laughs> and how strong is the commitment to the bit? Like, do you speak in an accent? Do you put on a voice, like a character? Are you in character the whole time or are you just you but dressed up? Some people are in character the whole time. I'm mostly just dressed up. Yeah, like, yeah. when we, we have, like, bigger events during the year where you, like, go away for a week and you camp and stuff and it's really, really? awesome. And then and then you go in character. But, like, on a Friday night, I'm pretty much just, like, wearing my kit, but I'm also, like, having a cigarette by the side of the road. Yeah. And getting and getting catcalled a lot from, from utes. Really? <laughs> we, get yelled, we get yelled at so much. I've never been catcalled or, like, street harassed ever in my life except when I'm wearing medieval garb. Right. <laughs> All right. And is it thematic, the catcalling, or...? Yeah, do they say it in many yeah. yoldy English? Pray, pray <laughs> thee, reveal <laughs> your bosom. God-fearing wench, <laughs> Get thee a yellow-dagged hood and take thee to Cheapside. <laughs> you do put on... You are in character, I knew it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, I wish I wish they did anything. It's mostly just like... Or... Mm. <laughs> Is that or like nice hat, and I'm like, thank you. It cost a lot, and I imported it from the Ukraine. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, because you call yourself hat guy, a hat guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm pivoting to be a hat guy. Um, 
In, in all in all centuries, I'm, I'm currently pivoting in the 15th century. We got a classic acorn hat. You got a classic bicocker. That's more 14th century. But what are you going to do? Sometimes sometimes you got to do something in a pinch. And yeah. then uh, I have two caps that I now rotate. I usually wear them inside. Crazy to not have me in a hat this morning. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, everyone's got to make a pivot. And pivot is to being a hat guy. <laughs> and tell us about any gigs coming up. Yeah, I've got a really good gig coming up on uh, this uh, tomorrow, actually, this mm-hmm. Saturday. I can't believe it's Friday. Um, I've got a gig coming up at Get Bent Fest, which is um, a midsummer festival. It's like a massive gala, and it's got like an insanely good lineup full of queer acts and amazing performers and comedians and drag and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's at Trades Hall. And it starts, I'm pretty sure it starts at 8, but you can get any of those details at Midsummer Festival. Beautiful. Uh, good luck tonight. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers. Thanks for having me. See ya. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or via the Triple R website.